today, we are on page of our book, 10, page 10 of our booklets, if you have your book here, page 10, and, and just in case you're looking ahead, the, the topic for this week's um, life group is how I deal with my mistakes. So if you are anything like me, then you are looking forward to your life group this week because we are, yeah, it'll be lovely to hear some ministry into that area of our lives. So in week one, we looked at the identity gap. And we've got a picture here for the identity gap up. It was the two circles. That is the gap between what God sees. <laughs> Look here, guys. My IQ is just raised quite significantly. <laughs> boop, boop. So there's, there's what God sees and what I believe. And what God believes to be true about us and what we believe to be true about ourselves can be radically different. And over the series, we're trusting that we will pull those things so they will overlap, they'll be in line. So what we see in ourselves is what God sees. Instead of us seeing something that's completely contrary to the truth. Um, and so we want to close this gap. Then week two, Charlotte preached on us being, on God being our father and us being sons and daughters of the most high God. Then in week three, I preached on how we are God's servants. When we serve the purposes of God, then he reveals to us and it becomes clearer the, the plans, the provision, the protection, and the praise of God. And I read a quote that I just thought would be a nice addition to last week. We are immortal until we have fulfilled the purpose of God for our lives. When we are serving God and we are set apart for his plan, then we are immortal until we have fulfilled the purpose of God in our lives, which is amazing, which means God will sustain us until we get done what we need to get done. When we serve God, tough times will come our way, but God will get us through. And when God gets us through, he will get the glory and we'll be stronger and more effective. Tough times will come our way, but God will get us through. And if you're a Christian in the room, it's a promise from scripture, the best is yet to come. Your future is going to be amazing, and we shouldn't have to wait that long. I'm trusting God for that amazing future from today, from today. So today's title is, I am a saint, he is my savior. How many of us have said in our lives, have used the phrase, I'm no saint? Now, you know me, I'm no saint. So God is looking at our lives, and he is saying this, I love saint Tim, I love Saint whoever, I love Saint Donnie, I love Saint Pola, I love Saint, and whatever your name is, God is putting your name there. My holy son and daughter. And we are thinking, I'm not a saint. If you look at my morning alone, never mind the whole week, just this morning I already disqualified myself from being a saint. We've heard of Saint Patrick, we've heard of Saint Christopher, um, we've heard of Saint uh, Francis. And we might be thinking, oh, St. Patrick, I know that one. That's that beer festival in Ireland. You're already like, oh, wait a minute. How unsaintly am I? And over the, about a thousand and something years ago, I think it was in the year 996, the Catholic Church established a process of how to determine whether someone was a saint. So they were like, if we want to saint somebody, what is the process? So you can now judge for yourself how well you're doing in this process of saintlyhood. Uh, number one was the local bishop opens an official cause for beautification or canonization. And that doesn't mean you have a makeover or get shot out of a cannon. It means that they get, they get together and they look at your life to see if it qualifies. The first step is you need to have been dead for five years unless the Pope gives you special permission. So already, I'm not doing well. <laughs> 
Number two is the informative process. So number one, you lived an amazingly godly life, but you've been dead for five years. Unless the, the Pope says, wow, this guy's still alive, but he is at that level or she is at that level of sainthood. Number two is the informative process. This is when your life is investigated to see if, there's, if, if you lived a life that was heroic with godly virtue. Can you imagine? They scrutinize and inspect your life from beginning to end to see if you lived with godly virtue. And if they find nothing to disqualify you from being a saint, then you will carry on in the process and you will continue. Um, how many of us are still in the running? <laughs> if the guy next to you has got his eyes closed, he might have a good chance. Uh, let's hope that he's just sleeping. Uh, how many of us are thinking, actually, by the time I was five years old, I was already properly disqualified from being a saint? Maybe three. Number three is the voting process to become venerable. This is where the cardinals and bishops would assess whether the person had enough influence and effectiveness in their ministry. Were they effective in their ministry? So they lived a virtuous, influential life. They showed great character, and they led others to God. Only two more steps. So I think most of us still looking good. Uh, Number four is the approval of miracles. So they will look at your life. You've lived with godly character. You have been somebody who's been hugely influential. They cannot find anything to disqualify you. And then number four, you have an approval of miracles. In other words, there are miracles that can be attributed to your ministry. And number five, approval of other ministries that happened after you were dead, which expressed a continuation of the fruitfulness of your ministry. There we go. Five easy steps to becoming a saint. No wonder people would say, I'm no saint. You know, I I haven't even got step one right yet. I'm completely disqualified from being a saint. So if there are any saints, I'm certainly not one of them. And if someone had to scrutinize my life for five minutes, never mind five hours or five weeks or five years, they would quite quickly say, he is no saint. Ask your spouse, (laughs) is that person a saint? And let them tell people, you know, Tim is no saint. The word saint is associated with people that are next level holy. And if you look at my life, I am dysfunctional, therefore I am disqualified before I even begin. Yet this thinking is absolutely contrary to what the Bible teaches, which is good news. According to scripture, when you give your life... I'm supposed to say this like increases my IQ and makes me super smart, and I don't know how to turn the torch off and shine in my own eyes. Um, okay, let me put my clever laser down. According to Scripture, oh my, we become saints. If you are a Christian in the room today, you are a saint in the room according to Scripture. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes to the church. And what is a church? A church is a body of believers. The church is a group of people. And these people have their problems. And this is how Paul addresses them. So this is his first mention to them in Ephesians 1 verse 1. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. 
So according to our understanding, Paul is obviously writing to a group of perfect people who have never made any mistakes in their life, and they've got miracles flowing all around them, and he's writing to this incredible elite group of Christians, to the saints of Ephesus. Yet the truth is, he's writing to them as he would be today. So he would say, if this scripture was now, to the saints in a mamzentoti. And that means it would be applying to you. Yet this scripture is as applicable to them then as it is to us today. And then he goes on to say in Ephesians 2 verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This speaks into our identity. A saint is who you are. According to scripture, when you gave your life to Jesus, you became a saint. So Paul is not writing to this exclusive elite group of dead and approved He's writing to living believers who are in Ephesus, and he says, to the saints. And then he also goes on to say this. Well, as we can see from the scripture, their behavior didn't line up. It wasn't perfect. He didn't call them saints because they were perfect. He called them saints because that was their identity, and then he tells them how to get perfect. So he says this in Ephesians 4 verse 31. Remember, he's writing to saints. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's incredibly, that means these people were considered saints, but they still had so much that they had to work through. Some of them had harsh tendencies. Some of them had evil behavior. Some of them were dealing with rage and anger and bitterness. So these people weren't perfect examples of godliness. And Jesus, or Paul says to them, to the saints, and then he says, now this is how to live out the saintly life. Um, Ephesians 5 verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What? You're a saint, now get sober, instead of you've become sober, now you're a saint. Can you see how that goes the other way around? So Paul starts with describing who we are, and then he tells us how to live according to who he said we already are. So right now in this room, if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint, and Paul's saying you are a saint, now I'm going to teach you how to live out the life of a saint. You see, when we live, when we, live we live out our identities, and if we believe that we are ungodly, unholy, unrighteous, unforgivable, unredeemable, too good for nothings, then we will live out what we believe. Have you ever heard somebody say, too bit good for nothing? Too bit good for nothing. No, only me. But anyway, I was like, what does that even mean, too bit good for nothing? So I googled it, and apparently two bits is a, a half of a quarter, so it's like a few cents. So it's basically saying you are very cheap, you are not worth very much. Now Paul comes along, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God himself, and says, to the church who are saints, holy, forgiven, loved, accepted, chosen, chosen anointed, and appointed to do good works. Not loved through good works, but loved to do good works. And that's a massive thing to understand because so many Christians live so hard to try and please God when God started off pleased. Now we've got to live to honor him. So all of us, like the church in Ephesus, are saints, yet we are all still a work in progress. Right now, in the room, believers, you are saints and a work in progress. Not progressing to become a saint, but progressing from becoming a saint. Is this good news for Peter? Thank you, Peter. So, 
Um, to help us understand, there is an illustration that we are going to draw on our screens. There we go. Can we put up our first slide? Um, so, <laughs> okay. Well, I don't really need this. <laughs> so we all have a birthday, the day that you were born. Then we move forward to the moment that we are born again, which is symbolized by a cross here. Um, then that's the moment that we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is represented by the cross. Then going further, further, there's the day that we pass away. And on this screen, it is called promotion. And I was just thinking about it this morning. If you live, are born there and you go through to there, there is a cross over there. If you don't receive Jesus, I would imagine it's just a negative. If you have the plus, it means plus all the eternity and good things God has for us. If we don't have the plus, it excludes every good thing that God has for us. So we want to make sure that when we get to this point over here, we add everything God has for us because eternity is forever. So we all have that. So our birthday and then the day that we pass away. And uh, Elvira mentioned last week the little dash that goes between the day that we are born and the day that we pass away. That little dash, it symbolizes so much. And we want to make sure that that dash is a little plus, not a little minus, because it adds everything God has for us. And it's not how long we live, and it's not how long we've been Christians that determines whether we are saints. It's our response to the cross. Time doesn't define whether we are holy or not holy. Jesus Christ does. Now picture two. One, two, three, four. So BC, forgiven, transforming, and transformed. And I know this might be a basic theology, but we're going to go over it until it gets from our heads to our hearts. BC, according to um, the guy that preached the sermon that I'm following the series from, Steph Bester, he said that BC stands for before COVID. Um, so no, okay, before Christ. It was funny then. So we have the, our moment, before Christ. Then number two, forgiven. From the moment that we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are forgiven. We are imputed in righteousness. In other words, we have perfect right standing with God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are adopted as sons and daughters, and we take on a new identity. You instantly, from that moment of receiving Jesus, become a saint as part of his royal priesthood. Number three is transforming. This is the process of becoming like Jesus. This is where we are all are at the moment as believers. This is where God deals with all the sharp edges and the character flaws and the stuff that we have in our lives that really shouldn't be there, and Jesus starts to work on these things. Picture a kid full of mud, absolutely filthy, dirty, and somebody spraying them off with a hose pipe. Right? They are not the dirt. That is not their identity. That is their state. And as the host pipe sprays on them, who they are created to be is revealed as opposed to, you know, the dirt itself. We are not the dirt that's been attached to us or that we've attached to ourselves. Jesus Christ is saying, I am, as I walk with you, I'm revealing who I created you to be. You are not the dirt. God is in the process of shaping us to become more like him. Not making us who we need to be, but lining us up with who we already are. Then we have Transformed. One day when we pass away, we'll pass from this life to the next and we will be transformed. Then under forgiveness, transformed, uh, transforming and transformed rights, new identity, new ways, new body. Have we got another picture for that? So if, you, if you're drawing on your, in your books, it's probably like six or seven lines. New identity, new ways, new body. Point two. <clears throat> 
Under point two, we get a new identity. Point three, we learn new ways. That's where we are now. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. He's walking with us. He's speaking to us through his Holy Spirit. He's shaping us through the people around us. And we learn how to live out our identities, not to achieve them, but to reveal them. And then in point four, we get new bodies to go with our new identities. So one day when we die and go to heaven, we will get new identities to go. And what they've done is a whole bunch of scientists got together and they worked out what our heavenly bodies will actually look like. So what I did was I I got the picture and I thought I'd put it up on the screen. (laughs) Guys, as you can see, um, I was at the gym this morning and I just thought, let me take a picture for the guys at church, right? Uh, As you can see, it's my face. Uh, That's just a joke, guys. That's Robert's body and my face. It's just been photoshopped, right? So it's not actually what we're going to look like in heaven. Can you take that picture down? And by the way, I've given them strict instructions. That picture is not to be shared on social media or ever shown again. So it's just silly. My point is this. When we get to heaven one day, we're going to get new bodies. They are going to be bodies. And if you want to read about what our new bodies will look like, um, 1 Corinthians 15, it actually it talks about our new bodies. It says there will be glorious immortal bodies. If you've lost somebody and they've gone to heaven, they have glorious immortal bodies, no sickness, no death, no decay, no decay. Spiritual bodies reflecting the image of our creator. Therefore, one day when we get to heaven, we will have bodies that never ever get sick and frail and struggle and never go through what we're going through now, right? I, I, I do wonder if when we get to heaven, if we will have, I think to myself, imagine having perfect teeth all the time. Why we don't have teeth now that you could just break out and a new one grows would just be wonderful. But when we get to heaven, no issues. No issues. And the people that you have loved and lost that are in heaven are completely healthy, healthier than we are now. Completely restored. And uh, um, then we've got the next pick. Going down, if you're taking notes. Under forgiven, new identity, saint. From the moment of the cross, we become saints. We are made holy, right? So from that point, we become saints to all of us that believe in Jesus Christ. This is a reflection of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Not what we've achieved, what Jesus achieved for us. And then under point number three, living holy. This is where Jesus disciples us and he guides us by his word. If you are reading the word of God, then you're being shaped and you're being molded into the identity of Jesus Christ. And then he guides us by his Holy Spirit and he speaks to us and he speaks through us. And then he surrounds us with people that help knock the sharp edges off. Good morning. So God is busy shaping all of us right now as we live our lives. And when you give your life to Jesus, at the point of the cross, there are certain things that happen in an instant. And we know those stories. You get some people there, they will drink excessively and smoke excessively and, you know, like um, swear terribly. And then they get saved and something changes and all of a sudden those things seem to fall away. But then again, there's other people that take time. And the process takes a bit longer. And it's not an instant thing. There are certain instant things like salvation. But then there's other things that slowly work their way out of our lives. And then there's things for all of us in the room that God is still going to deal with in the future. There are things in our lives that shouldn't be there right now. Maybe lives we've believed. And God is working on those things. And he will work on those things. And the whole time we're alive, Jesus is busy molding us to become like him. And this, I just felt in my heart, some of you... All of us, God willing, need to be like 
clay that get molded as opposed to some sort of ceramic thing that's become hardened. Because if you try and mold ceramic, it's just going to break. But if we are moldable, then God can use us. But that's up to us. I'll probably get there in a point. I mean, just now. Under point number four, no sin. One day when we get to heaven, imagine a world with no theft, no crime, no corruption, no sin, no sickness, no gossip, no slander, no lying, no betraying, no fear, no anxiety, no temptation, no hatred, no hurt, and the... That's the world that God wants us to live in. And he doesn't say, wait till you get there and hang in there and suffer through. He says, call kingdom to earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I can see an expression of all that. Therefore, I don't live this way. And anyone that's around me or the people in our church get to experience what heaven will be like one day when we get there. There is a promised future for all of us that believe. This thing is rattling. So... Uh, I've been told 300 times not to do that because it's distracting and I still do it. Forgive me. Um, This is a, a promise to all of us saints. There is an incredible future ahead of you. The theological terms for these, and we can go to the next slide, are justified, sanctified, and glorified. From this moment over here, you are justified. So you're going through your life you, 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 you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. He, he finds you. You were lost and he calls you and you respond to it. From that moment on, you are justified. And the way to think about that is justified never sinned. From the moment you gave your life to Jesus, all your sin is gone. Past, present, and future, you are absolutely justified. Jesus takes our sin, all of it, past, present, and future, and he takes it on as a deserved punishment on the cross. Not his deserving, it's what we deserved. So therefore, he takes what we deserve and gives us what we don't deserve, which is an incredible picture of grace. And then when he does that, from that moment, we become new creations, sons and daughters, forgiven, loved, accepted, redeemed, justified, glorified, and sanctified. The word sanctified is the process of being made more like Jesus. And I know we're just saying the same things again and again and again. We're massaging it into our minds, then God willing, it takes it to our hearts. So the moment that you give your life to Jesus, you are justified. Then you go through a process of being sanctified. If a king and queen adopt a child, the child becomes royalty from that moment. And then they will learn how to act like royalty. So right now, all of you are part of a royal priesthood adopted by the king of kings. Therefore, by default, royalty. And as you go on your Christian lives, Jesus says, now I'm going to teach you what royalty lives like. Not so that you can become royal, but because you already are. Then we are glorified. This is our heavenly future, a promise of what's to come. Everyone in this room, can we put up that slide there? Yeah, leave that. Everyone in the room is either there or there. Point one or point three. Right now, you are on a journey to the cross or you're a journey from the cross. At that point there, you were given a new identity. You are who God says you are. God willing, no one in the room is at point number four. Um, <laughs> if, if they are, let us know. Um, if you're at stage one, if you are here, 
and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, then this morning you are standing at the doorway to stage two. God will not force you. The Holy Spirit, I believe, will encourage you and thank God for godly friends because they might have brought you. Yet a decision needs to be made. As you have heard the word this morning and the truth of the gospel has been preached, if you receive Jesus and say, yes, I add the cross to my life, I recognize the cross, then by default, God says you are a new creation, new identity, and everything I have for you in the future is good. The rewards are out of this world. Yet to deny the invitation is eternally devastating. If you are at point number one today, right now, you're being invited to point number two. You will either accept that invitation or reject that invitation. But it's yours to accept and yours to reject. I pray now that the Holy Spirit will convict you where you say, Lord, please, I'm, I'm calling you to come into my life. And from that moment, saved, forgiven, adopted, redeemed, loved. Well, I think you loved up until that point anyway. But you start to live in and experience the love of God. So, recognizing that we are saints. Number one, we look back with gratitude. You're taking notes. You can put this in your notes. This is very short, so I'm nearly done. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15 says, Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Thank you, Jesus, for what I am saved out of. Sin, sickness, suffering, and all the shame that goes with it, and a life separated from the presence of God, living in the wrath of God because that's what sin deserves. Thank you, Jesus. That because of nothing I've done, because of everything you've done, I'm saved out of that. And I don't deserve it, but you see me as worthy, so you paid the price. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what I am saved into. Eternity in your presence. No more sickness, no more shame, no more suffering. And thank you, thank you, Jesus. We look, number two, we look to the present to become more like Jesus. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24. Go home and meditate on this. Throw off the old sinful nature and the former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Throw it off. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul encourages us to distance ourselves from the sin that wants to pull us down. Not to achieve a new nature, but to start living out the new nature that God's given us. He says, throw off the old nature. It's an action. It's a choice. Throw it off. Recognize that you have been made new. We need to practice the presence of God. We have church. We have prayer meetings. We have life groups. Why? So that we can practice the presence of God together and put on the new nature. It's like a coat of sin and shame that uh, we heard Fidelis preach about. And we throw off that coat and Jesus puts a new coat of righteousness on us. And we don't go back and put the, new, the old coat on. We continue to wear out the new coat. It's who we are. When we can choose to resist and fight and not cooperate. Or we can choose to surrender and allow God to draw out of us what he created us to be. And next we look forward with hope. And I really feel like a lot of people, they have this... The, the end time eschatology is like 
you know, we want Jesus to come right now. And I, and I understand that because we have like an escapist theology thinking the sooner he comes, the less I have to live with the suffering. Instead of praying kingdom to earth, we pray that we'll leave earth and go to the kingdom. I don't believe God wants us to escape. I believe he wants us to live in the fullness of everything he achieved for us. So therefore, we look forward with hope. And by the way, that doesn't mean one day when I die, then I'll finally be happy. It means today. This afternoon, tomorrow, I look forward with hope to end. When God looks at us, he doesn't see who we were. He knows who we were. He doesn't forget that he knows. He, God is, he knows everything. Yet when he looks at us, he sees who we are called to be. He's looking for us to embrace. If you are taking notes, I want you to write this in all bold in your book. I am a saint because God says so. Take it to heart. If there's a label that somebody wants to place over your life, saint. Can you all close your eyes? And I want to read this identity creed. I'm going to try and change it as we go from I to you. You are a child of God. You are made in the image of God. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You were chosen by him before the world began. You are loved more than you will ever know. Your father knows you. Your father cares about you. Your father takes great delight in you. You have been redeemed. You have been set free. You have been forgiven. Some of you have been forgiven. You are a saint. You are loved in the beloved. You are designed and destined for great purpose in him. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are God's holy temple. You are invited to live for his glory. Christ dwells in you. You are a new creation. You are a child of the light. You are part of a new family. You are precious. You are called. You are empowered. You are God's inheritance. You are a co-heir with Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You are dead to sin. You are alive in Christ. You are seated with him in heavenly places. You are a child of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we go through these things, we won't go, yeah, yeah, I know this. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will truly know this. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that all the labels that have been put on us by other people, even if it's people we love, even our parents, those will fall away. And the labels that we receive will be the labels that you give us. Loved, chosen, forgiven, a saint. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we don't live out the lies, but we live out the truth. If you're in the room and you're at point number two, 
you've been invited this morning to recognize, to accept or reject the cross. If you are in the room and you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your life, I want you to put your hand up now where you're at. We all think we've got time. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will put a holy fire over your people. What is not of you will be burned away. What is of you, Lord Jesus, will be reflected to glorify your holy name. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this holy fire will transform us, not temporarily, but eternally. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have started a good work in us and you'll bring it to completion. I thank you, Lord, that even as we go have bacon and egg rolls now, you will bless our time of fellowship. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that the sick will be healed. That the brokenhearted will feel a sense of peace. For those that are struggling, Lord Jesus, you will provide. Lord, we want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.